The new rule for back to school. That is the, the you know, the preference for, for lots of people. Where and when masks will be mandatory when students return to class. The parties continue. We are continuing to review uh, what can be done about those. Troubling scenes from the weekend and a warning. Enforcement is coming and getting around the border closure. Are you eager to reunite with friends and relatives in the U.S.? How a loophole is letting non-essential travelers take off for America. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight and we begin with a grim milestone in BC's fight against COVID-19. The province has now recorded its highest ever daily total of new cases. We have 236 new cases since Friday afternoon. The new record comes from the 24-hour period between Friday and Saturday when 100 cases were confirmed. Two more people have died, bringing our total to 198 deaths. Four people are in hospital, three in the ICU. 3,053 people who had the virus have now recovered. There are 743 active cases in BC and 2,286 British Columbians are currently in isolation. Now, as those numbers grow, BC is now making masks mandatory in certain parts of schools. Students in middle and high schools will now have to wear a face covering while in high traffic common areas. Well, let's check in with our Keith Baldry and Victoria with more details. Keith, these new rules come off the back of what several other Western provinces have already announced. Yeah, it's been quite interesting to watch the evolution of our masking policy. At the beginning of the pandemic, you know, nobody had a mask. It was deemed to be almost useless. It wasn't recommended for using. Uh, since then, though, it's now part of the protocols of uh, public health measures. It's not the most important one. That remains physical distancing. And it came up in the briefing today with uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix and a new face you might not be familiar with. That's Dr. Rika Gustafson, who's actually Dr. Bonnie Henry's deputy. Dr. Henry taking a much-needed one-week uh, deserved one-week rest, and the doctor describes about how mask wearing is part of the safety protocols, and it's just an added layer of protection. And Minister Rob Fleming has pointed out, this is the new normal now. So many people have been wearing masks in the fall, and you have to get over uh, the stigma that some people attach to that practice. Here's the two of them. The decision to use masks as an additional layer of protection in the situations where the other control measures can be put in place is something that is being taken right now and is, as every other control measure will be evaluated to make sure that it is that children and students are able to do it safely and that it does provide an added benefit. Students can wear them uh, uh, whenever they choose. Uh, the same goes for staff members and uh, teachers. Uh, there should be no stigma around mask wearing. Uh, that is the, the, you know, the preference for, for lots of people, and that's a good thing. We want to make sure that they're available and also that they're worn in situations uh, where they can be uh, a benefit, uh, where students are uh, temporarily in a crowded area uh, as an additional layer of protection in addition to all the other layers of protection that are built into the safety plan. Now, these uh, masks are going to be free. Uh, every student is going to get at least one, if not two. Abbotsford, I know, sent out a note today that every student on the first day of school will be getting two masks, and they'll probably be replenished through the school year. Again, not necessarily worn in class, but in hallways, uh, common rooms, on school buses. That will be the rule. There will be some exceptions for medical reasons, but that'll be few and far between. Also, the province is buying more than 45,000 face shields for, to provide teachers and support staff if they prefer to wear that type of equipment. Uh, 
come the school year instead of a mask. So school's going to look very different in, uh, in September, and the makeup of what people are wearing is going to look different as well. Sophie? Like so many other parts of our lives these days. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Well, masks are just one issue on a long list of concerns about the back-to-school plan. Parents who decide to homeschool their children because of worries about classroom safety now fear they might lose their spots in the school in the future. Aaron MacArthur reports. The government's new mandatory mask rule changes nothing for thousands of parents. People still concerned about a back-to-school plan that has to be fully rolled out in just three weeks. Nearly 35,000 have signed a petition asking pointed questions about what they say are serious flaws in the protocols. What we're asking for is choice, the option for individual families because they each have different circumstances, family dynamics. One of the key concerns surrounds hard-to-get-into-choice programs, like French immersion or out-of-catchment placements. With these schools often at or over capacity, parents wanting to pull their kids out want some assurance the seats they had to win a lottery to get in the first place will still be there when they come back. They're just going to go down the wait list and let them in, and now those kids that are homeschooling for their safety can't go back to their friends. They might not even be able to back in the same school. The education ministry is directing parents to touch base with individual districts and individual schools. So far, districts have little to no information available, and parents complain there's no one to talk to at the school level. We need more information. They may have a plan going into that they want to do this and help support us, but they're not telling us. They're going to be giving us, what, 10 days notice? The Ministry of Education is recommending parents enroll students as they normally would. And it will work to build confidence in the restart plan. Judging by the sentiment, there is still a lot more work to do yet. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, despite the pleas from Dr. Bonnie Henry, politicians and even B.C. celebrities, the message to stop partying and keep your bubble small just isn't being respected by some. This weekend saw several caught-on-camera gatherings and parties where people were flouting social distancing and group size rules with little sign of enforcement. Brad McLeod reports. Over 100 teens swarming the streets of Saanich, snubbing social distancing. We just got more concerned as more people were coming. Having large groups of people congregating is hard to see. Over a dozen police calls came in about the loud teens emerging from Northridge Elementary School on Cary Road. One of the youth may have brandished a uh, baton or a knife. This just one of the large gatherings by young people this weekend. An impromptu DJ party on Vancouver's Granville Mall and these crowds at Rec Beach Saturday. And I'm hoping that the government can some way f find these people. It seems the surge in COVID cases among 20 to 40 year olds in the province of no concern to these people. Just last week, the premier imploring BC's A-list celebrities to help. Ryan Reynolds answered the call. Um, I hope that young people in BC don't kill my mom, frankly. Seth Rogen said it's more fun to smoke weed alone inside. But it seems the pandering to the youth landed with a collective meh. The health minister acknowledging outdoor parties are particularly frustrating because they are so visible. The places where there's the greatest danger is uh, our private parties where alcohol is involved and it's inside. 
While Saanich police say they are investigating the allegations of property damage and weapons being brandished, they can't do much about crowding. For uh, COVID-19 or physically distancing, uh, we don't have authority to um, write tickets for, for that. But that may change. We cannot let a few wreck it for everybody else. The government deciding to make a move to enforcement. That will optimize the use of enforcement officers beyond public health. The municipalities, health authorities, work safe, and police. And the government will take further steps to impose stricter penalties. The Solicitor General is expected to release exactly what the enforcement will look like later this week. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A recent prayer event held in Alberta is linked to at least 17 COVID-19 cases in northern B.C. And we need you to come. We need you to invite people. And I know that God will protect us. Northern Health is asking anyone who attended the It Is Time Canada event in Deadwood, Alberta from July 30th to August 2nd to self-monitor and get tested if they develop symptoms. Twelve of the 17 confirmed cases involve attendees, while the rest are believed to be from secondary exposure. Twenty-four others, the majority in Fort St. John, are in self-isolation and under public health monitoring. Deadwood is about a three-hour drive from northeast B.C., the prayer event was held at a farm, and photos show people meeting in a tent and sharing meals together. Now we're seeing some additional lab-confirmed cases that are from secondary exposures to the actual people who attended the event. Close contacts of identified cases will be contacted directly by public health and advised and supported in any measures that they should take. Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou appeared in a B.C. court via phone today for the latest legal skirmish in her battle against extradition to the U.S. As Grace Key reports, today's argument is over the release of documents that could prove critical to the outcome of the case. Meng Wanzhou's lawyers argue there was misconduct during her arrest, so the Attorney General of Canada can't claim privilege on several redacted documents. An immigration lawyer following the case says defense argues the plan was for an immediate arrest. Until a mysterious 90-minute conversation occurred between Canada and the United States law enforcement, no arrest that was immediate as ordered by the court, multi-hour interrogation seizing documents, computers, technical information. Crown says, administer of mistake, we apologize. Defense says, uh-uh, misconduct. And because it's misconduct, you, Crown, cannot say litigation privilege because litigation privilege does not protect misconduct. Show us the documents. Lawyers for the Huawei executive say her arrest at YVR back on December 1st, 2018, was part of a plan to covertly collect information for the FBI. The Attorney General of Canada denies any misconduct and argues the release of sensitive documents. Oh, these documents are key because they're going to show who said what to who and when on the tarmac of Vancouver International Airport when the plan changed three times from immediate arrest to multi-hour interrogation of ostensibly immigration customs questions. Hi, how are you? How are you? I'm fine. Okay. 
Meng is fighting extradition to the U.S. where she faces fraud charges. She's accused of lying to HSBC about Huawei's relationship with a company accused of violating U.S. sanctions against Iran. She has denied the allegations. Meng remains in Vancouver under house arrest. She followed the court proceedings by phone. Five days have been set aside for arguments. Grace Key, Global News. One of B.C.'s most popular and dangerous lakes has claimed another life. RCMP are confirming their underwater team has recovered a body from Harrison Lake near the Hale Creek Recreation Site. Police launched a search on Sunday after getting a report of a missing person last seen swimming in the area. The identity of the victim isn't being released pending notification of next of kin. Another drowning tragedy in B.C. over the weekend claimed the life of an Albertan. A Calgary woman was being photographed at Marble Canyon in Kootenai National Park on Sunday when she slipped and was swept away by the river. The man taking her picture jumped in after her. Both were later pulled from the water, but while the man survived, the woman could not be resuscitated. A number of people saw the tragedy unfold and are being supported by victim services. Two men in their 20s are being treated for gunshot wounds after a pair of overnight shootings in Burnaby. As Rumina Dea reports, police say the violence is linked to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. And despite their serious injuries, neither victim is cooperating with investigators. The bloodied sidewalk blasted clean. Carrie McLaren wide awake when she heard a suspicious sound. Pop, pop kind of a thing, so... But so I was your like, gut instinct was what? Gunshot. Smith and Canada Way, the area of chaos. Around 2.30 Monday morning, several residents calling 911 after hearing gunfire. I heard probably anywhere between six and eight t- rapid kind of fire. A white crossover vehicle fled from police. A short pursuit was initiated on Highway 1 where the offender driver was exceeding the speed limits upwards of 160 kilometers an hour. Given the reckless driving of that individual, the police at that time decided to end the pursuit. Not long after, a 25-year-old Surrey man showed up at hospital, suffering from several gunshot wounds. I just fear for safety for, for the locals here. So yeah, safety is probably the primary concern. Rewind two hours when another shooting went down, also in Burnaby, near North Road and Cottonwood around 12.30 a.m. A 21-year-old Vancouver man shot multiple times. Burnaby RCMP are trying to piece together whether the two shootings are linked. No surprise, the gunshot victims are not cooperating with police. Both of these incidents, we do believe them to be targeted. However, there's always a chance that a passerby or somebody of the someone within the general public could be struck by one of these, these bullets, and obviously there's a concern. Coincidence or connection? Both shootings happened near hookah lounges. The Mounties confirming they're investigating whether the suspects attended. Residents It's starting to manifest a little bit more. Uh, I know a lot of the members of our community are pushing the city to to have a closer look at this place. Burnaby RCMP acknowledging violent crime is up, prompting a reallocation of resources to deal with gang violence. Police counting on help from witnesses to stop the bleeding. Romina Dea, Global News. 
A Vancouver Island man is recovering in hospital after he was attacked by a grizzly bear near Lillooet on Sunday. This is what's left of the man's bike helmet. The BC Conservation Service says the 58-year-old was mountain biking on a trail in the Spruce Lake area north of Goldbridge when he was bitten by a sow with two cubs. He was flown to hospital in Kamloops with injuries to his abdomen and leg. His wife used bear spray on the sow and it left with the cubs. Conservation officers are investigating but say the grizzly will not be destroyed as this was a defensive attack. Lightning strikes sparked dozens of new wildfires in B.C. overnight. This small wildfire burning in the Mount Curry area near Pemberton is one of 40 new fires in the last 24 hours. 25 of them are in the Coastal Fire Centre, where Vancouver Island saw the brunt of an overnight lightning storm. Fortunately, most of the lightning-caused fires are under 4 hectares, and the lightning is now moving into the interior. As of this afternoon, there were more than 50 active fires in the province. This season has definitely been um, quieter than the previous seasons. Um, to date, we've had a total of 437 fires and um, 950 hectares burned. This time last year, we had 669 fires and over 21,000 um, hectares burned. Coquitlam RCMP are now investigating after nearly a quarter million dollars vanished from the bank account of Coquitlam's Youth Baseball League. The money was discovered missing earlier this month after the league was told families had not received their promised refunds for the 2020 sprint season. The association's books show that where just weeks earlier there had been more than $229,000 in the bank, there's now just $3,000 left in that account. The Coquitlam RCMP Economic Crime Unit has now taken over the investigation. In general, sports teams and charities do usually build in some kind of oversight. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for money to go missing. We encourage any organization, no matter how small or charitable, to make sure you have checks and balances in place when it comes to money. While many businesses are suffering during the pandemic, there is one that is actually expanding. The liquidator in Burnaby is booming right now. With many shops failing and shutting down, their assets are being sold off, so much so that the liquidator has had to move into a bigger warehouse. But there's a catch. Why this is almost too much of a good thing in just over a minute. It's the right time for a new finance minister. Bill Morneau resigns. The late day announcement and a reported rift with the Prime Minister. That's coming up later on the News Hour. Right now, though, while many businesses are struggling to survive, a Burnaby wholesaler is booming, offering new brand name items at deep discounts. Ted Chernecki has more on how the liquidator is taking stock and the one thing he says he can't find during the global pandemic. KitchenAid, Tefal, Blenders. I mean, this stuff came... Here's something you don't hear very often these days. Business right now couldn't be any better. To make money this from a guy that's had his own reality TV show for four years before it was cancelled in 2016. He has seen the ups and downs, but nothing quite like the downside of a pandemic. I live for the deal. It's sad to see someone who's been in a business for 20 years and they're calling you up. To be honest with you, most of the deals that we've been getting are from larger companies with uh, really high-end inventory, uh, needing to move it. From a guy who spent most of his working life looking for bargains to resell, it can't get any better than this. But he claims there's trouble in paradise. 
Getting the product is it's all over the place. Our biggest issue is competing with the government. Unfortunately, the government is paying this uh, pretty much what's called CERB, and uh, we've got product piled to the rafters. Getting people to come to work to sort it out has actually been the harder problem. We've been trying to hire people to come to this facility to work. It's almost impossible. People come in, work for a day, say, you know what? Ah, I got CERB. We need people to help sort. He's recently more than doubled his warehouse floor space to 60,000 square feet, a relative bargain, he says, as more commercial real estate sits empty. A lot of his product is coming from professional sports teams and any other company that relies on large crowds to promote a product. But they needed to liquidate that inventory because there was no events going on. This uptick in the liquidation business is more than ever a clear sign of the times. Ted Schenecke, Global News. Just ahead, leisure travel allowed. The government needs to close that loophole. The U.S.-bound flights some health experts say shouldn't be happening. Also ahead, the Canada Revenue Agency targeted in a cyber attack. How far the hackers went and the CRA's response. It's a beautiful evening over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, and after clearing a stall southbound at mid-span, traffic has fully recovered, seeing no delays in either direction. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Canada's border with the U.S. has been closed for months and likely will remain that way for some time to come. But it just so happens you can still travel stateside, even if it's not essential, not by land, but by air. As Sean O'Shea reports, leisure trips are allowed, even though many health experts think it's a bad idea. If you're flying somewhere during this pandemic, a little more stressful than usual, you'll probably find that most people traveling are on a business trip or heading out because it's urgent. If I didn't have to go, I wouldn't be going, but because my grandma is sick. But increasingly, air carriers are encouraging travelers to start thinking about booking leisure travel. Here's part of what Air Canada says on its customer service line. Are you eager to reunite with friends and relatives in the U.S.? Did you know that Canadians are permitted to travel by air to and from the U.S. for leisure or business? A reminder that flying to the United States is possible, even though experts say this is risky. I could be on a plane with somebody from Brazil or Texas or California, somewhere where there's a lot more people um, who are infected, and so their risk might be substantially higher. It's important that Canadians know, even though that this is available, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. There's still an inherent risk. The federal government still recommends against non-essential travel outside of Canada. That warning's been in place since mid-March. But with the Canadian airline industry only flying at about 15% of its pre-COVID-19 capacity, carriers are slowly encouraging travellers to consider booking air travel outside the country again. Travel may be allowed, but it is quite different than what it was, for example, this time last year. Air Canada says it's following federal rules and offering essential services that allow families to reunite. It says it has put in place industry-leading biosafety measures to protect customers and employees. And if you ask some travelers if they feel safe crossing the border, some like Jill Murphy say this is no time to be a tourist. I don't see the point of going if you don't have to go. It's legal to fly south for leisure even though you can't drive across the border for that purpose. Some health experts say the restrictions should be the same regardless of how you're traveling. The government needs to cl close that loophole. The government needs to say, no, this is not what we're doing. This is not in alignment with our current public health guidelines. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. 
The Canada Revenue Agency aims to have its online services back up on Wednesday after hackers managed to breach thousands of accounts. RCMP are investigating the series of cyber attacks that forced the shutdown of the CRA website. The hack affected about 11,000 tax accounts, but also MyGCKey accounts used across 30 government departments. The feds describe what happened as credential stuffing and say a big part of the problem was people reusing passwords. Just ahead, a major announcement in Ottawa today. It's never been my plan to run for more than two federal election cycles. Canada's finance minister steps down. Plus, why thousands around the world are volunteering to be infected with COVID-19. Traffic is in pretty good shape both ways here on Highway 99 to and from the Massey Tunnel. Do keep in mind, though, that overnight maintenance has you down to a single lane both ways from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and Real Canadian Superstores throughout B.C. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Breaking news tonight out of Ottawa, Bill Morneau is out as federal finance minister. There had been reports of tension between Morneau and the prime minister and controversy over Morneau's ties to the WE charity. David Aiken has more on the sudden resignation. Well, Bill Morneau and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met early Monday morning and it was there, according to Morneau, that Morneau offered his resignation. He told reporters that he was not fired. Morneau said that he told the Prime Minister he did not intend to run again as the MP for Toronto Centre and that he felt it was better that someone else take over as Finance Minister right now. Like any job, there's a time where you're the appropriate person in the role and the time where you have to decide when you're not the appropriate person in the role. Since I'm not running again and since I expect that we will have a long and, and challenging recovery. I think it's important that the Prime Minister has by his side a finance minister who has that longer-term vision. And so that's what led me to conclude during this time period that it's appropriate for me to step down. As for his own future, Morno said he still wants to serve. He wants to take the top job at the Paris-based Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, known as the OECD. And Prime Minister Trudeau, in a statement, said he fully supports Morneau's decision to seek that top job. But beneath the surface, it's quite clear that there had been a rift between the prime minister and the finance minister. And that rift was exacerbated by the revelations of Morneau's connections to the WE charity. But now the big question, and it's one that only the prime minister can answer, who will succeed Morneau as finance minister? It could be Trudeau's deputy prime minister, Christia Freeland. Her riding is right next door to Morneau's in downtown Toronto, and she's broadly seen as very capable. And if she got the job, she would be the first woman to ever hold the job as finance minister in Canada's history. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. 
It's night one of the Democratic National Convention, and this year's event is completely virtual. The party is hoping to make its case against U.S. President Donald Trump and highlight Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And tonight, they're using a very famous face to do so. Tonight, former First Lady Michelle Obama making the case for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Democratic officials releasing a clip of her pre-recorded keynote speech. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. Mrs. Obama casting this election as a referendum on what she characterized as a lack of leadership at the White House for a country in crisis. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. And getting personal about the tragedies Biden has endured. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter. And when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair. The former first lady setting the stage for an unprecedented convention. Unlike four years ago when Biden helped to energize the party. He cares about the middle class. Give me a break. No balloon drop or packed convention hall. Instead, this event will be almost entirely virtual. From the roll call tomorrow night to watch parties throughout the week. A mix of high-profile politicians and celebrities. I'm Eva Longoria. Other key speakers tonight include Senator Bernie Sanders, Ohio's former Republican Governor John Kasich, and Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, all aiming to unify the party around its historic ticket. Senator Harris is the first woman of color to become a vice presidential nominee of a major party. What role will the fact that this is a history-making ticket play in this convention? I'm not sure that people are as concerned about making history as they are about making their future. And if you leave Donald Trump in for another four years, he's going to destroy everybody's future except Donald Trump and his family. A pivotal night for Democrats fighting to win back the White House. His life is a testament to getting back up. And he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up, to help us heal and guide us forward. Well, while most of us are trying to avoid the coronavirus, thousands of people around the world are volunteering to be infected with COVID-19 in order to test the effectiveness of vaccines. It's hoped the human challenge trials from Oxford will speed up research into a vaccine. More than 30,000 people worldwide have agreed to what many would consider unthinkable, to be deliberately infected with coronavirus. Their aim is to help speed up research into a vaccine. 18-year-old Alistair from the UK is one of them. I don't think that those risks and that worry is something that is going to stop me because I know what I'm doing, I know why I'm doing it. More than 160 COVID vaccines are in development, but only a handful are in phase three, ready for large-scale testing. Russia this week approved a vaccine, but without going through phase three tests standard in the West. Scientists usually only know if a vaccine works by waiting for volunteers to catch the virus naturally. That can take months, even years. But there's another, more controversial path human challenge trials, where scientists infect volunteers with the on purpose. Results can be faster, but the stakes are high. None of the research labs racing for a COVID vaccine have started human challenge trials yet. 
but scientists here at Oxford, who have one of the most advanced programs in the world, say such trials could play a crucial role in speeding up the process. Desperate times may lead us to think about cutting corners, but there are reasons that human challenge trials have been set up in the way that, that um, under normal circumstances they're carried out, which means we have to have either a rescue therapy or it's a, known to be a self-limiting illness or disease. Volunteers like Alistair are part of the One Day Sooner campaign. Backed by Nobel laureates and world-leading scientists, their message is clear. If a vaccine can be found even one day sooner, it would save thousands of lives. Scientists are divided over how to trial a coronavirus vaccine. But one thing is not in question. This pandemic only ends when they succeed. Raf Sanchez, NBC News, Oxford. Still to come, the CFL spikes the season. The pandemic forcing a stop in play for the first time in more than 100 years. And up next, an electrifying show on the South Coast. A giant hornet captured just south of the border. What makes this guy different right after the forecast? Ew. Ew. I don't like the bumblebees. That's it. Just oh. the bumblebees. Yes, not the murder hornets. No. Uh, that's a beautiful shot, Yvonne. And boy, was there ever a show last night. Yeah, Mother Nature, a light show last night. Uh, we had fantastic photos, videos, so thank you so much for everyone that sent them in. A couple to start things off. This one was captured in North Saanich, so thank you so much, Conan. Another spectacular shot, Mill Bay capturing the lightning, Aaron and Tobin. And another one from Vancouver, so thank you so much, James. This one, downtown Vancouver, taken from Derek. So thank you so much. It was spectacular last night, all the way across the south coast, and the island was included within it. Now, temperatures today soaring once again. Day two of record-breaking highs. Warfield, near Trail, the southeastern corners of the province. These are unofficial, but pushing closer to 40 degrees. An old record of 38.9 set back in 1967. Kelowna getting there. Summerland up to 38 degrees. Penticton up to 37. And along the south coast, Port Hardy today with a new record of 25.3. The old one was set back in 2012. Temperatures were soaring and with the Humidex once again it was into the low 30s. Right now out of the airport feeling closer to 34 degrees. Areas near Hope up to 36 and for Nanaimo up to 34. We do have lots of active weather still pushing its way through for the southeastern corners. The following areas in yellow for the Columbia. A severe thunderstorm watch will continue to see that but we could see very gusty winds, heavy rain and the potential for hail. Now the following spots tomorrow. Still another hot one in the interior. The range between the low 30s and mid 30s, especially pushing in towards the southeastern corners. And then there is a reprieve on the way as we get midweek onwards, especially pushing in towards our Thursday, Friday and areas near Kelowna. will see that drop in temperatures as well. Instability for tomorrow. Risk of a thunderstorm right across the board. The southern half of the province will be included within that. Northern tip of Vancouver Island could also see the risk of a thunderstorm. A few showers popping up along the western edge. Metro Vancouver with the Humidex feeling closer to 33 degrees. Thursday, Friday is when we'll track a change on the way with some showers and cooler temperatures. Tonight's weather window, this was shot last night, a stunning sunset in Vancouver captured by Jay. So lovely. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Agriculture officials in Washington state say they have trapped the first male Asian giant hornet to be found in the United States so far. And its capture happened just a handful of kilometers from the border. 
The Asian giant hornet, also known as the murder hornet, was collected from a bottle trap near Custer, Washington in late July. Custer is just south of Blaine along the I-5, about 13 kilometers from the border. The hornet was captured several weeks before scientists had expected the male insects to emerge. A large number of traps have now been set up to help control the invasive species and help in finding and eradicating their nests. So far, seven Asian giant hornets, who look very angry, have been found in Washington state, all of them in Whatcom County. It did look angry, didn't it? It did, in a furrowed brow. (laughs) And there pretty much goes dinner. Mm -hmm. Well, really? You don't Oh, I'm not gonna eat now. I mean, as long as it's not a spider, I'm okay. Who would win in a battle between an Asian giant hornet and a North Shore wolf spider? (laughs) I think you could sell that on (laughs) pay-per-view. As long as I'm nowhere near it. Put them in the octagon. (laughs) All right, uh, Squire. Yes. Here we go. Bad news about the CFL. Yes, although I'm not really surprised at this. Now, actually, last week... Uh, BC Lions President Rick LaLaSure and the CFL thought it would get government help to hold a shortened season, but it didn't happen. Just seemed to come to, uh, uh, I don't know, a big brick wall Friday. So that means the CFL is cancelling this season and saying it'll be back for 2021. Also coming up... The Ontario teens turning the pandemic into music how their creativity has won them a global NASA challenge. Squire was just letting me know there used to actually be a show where bugs would fight each other. Yes, it like was called... Like Cage Match? Uh, no, it wasn't a cage match. It was bug wars because, you know, they go in the jungle and they would just happen upon two different bugs fighting each other. Did David Attenborough do the play-by-play? No, actually, he didn't. <laughs> and Michael Buffer wasn't there to say, let's get ready to rumble either. They just went at it. Anyway, it was sad I missed that. (laughs) So someone's already thought of that idea. Okay. Uh, Game four for the uh, Canucks and Blues starts in less than an hour. Vancouver, of of course, leads this series two games to one. Right now, the Canucks actually have the best power play percentage in the Stanley Cup tournament and the fifth highest goals per game average. And the biggest reason they have those two numbers is over my shoulder. And we should also say that Quinn Hughes has a six-game point scoring streak. And if he gets a point tonight, he will set an NHL record for rookie defenseman. Longest point scoring streak in the playoffs. Regardless of who wins this game this evening, there will be a game five, of course, on Wednesday. And the NHL says it will start at 7.30 our time. A couple of games are already done. Avalanche and Coyotes. And the Avs just ran over Arizona today. Nathan McKinnon. Shoulder down, attacks the net. Nazem Kadri picks up the garbage, scores two in the first period, 3 nothing at that point. If Quinn Hughes doesn't win Rookie of the Year, this guy will. Kale McCarr, look at the move and the goal. One more look, that is. And then Nathan McKinnon gets cross-checked in the face by Christian Fisher and decides to defend himself. And he's a big man, and he can do it. So he scores goals, and he also gets points on the 10-point must system. 7-1 final for Colorado. Andre Vasilevsky and the Lightning against Columbus. The first goal was by Barkley Goodrow in the second period, early in the second period, actually. And then 
Tampa would get one more, and that's all they need. Yanni Gord tipping in this shot by Kevin Chattenkirk. Two on the final. They lead this series 3-1 as well. Look at this. Jesse Reyes singing the national anthem before the Raptors game atop the CN Tower. 1,168 feet above, standing on guard for the first game of the playoffs, and the Raptors look like champs. Pascal Siakam from Kyle Lowry. The uh, primary weapon for the Raptors today in game one against Brooklyn was the three-point bomb. Lowry had 18. Actually, no, Lowry had, yes, he had 16. Siakam had 18. It was Freddie Van Vliet who put up the most points, 30, and also 11 assists. Game one to Toronto. Well, after not getting any taxpayer money to help pay the bills since no fans are allowed in stadiums, the CFL has decided to punt on the 2020 season and not play until next year. They didn't really reveal what the plan is for next year or if they'll ask for government help again. They probably will. But whatever the case, this year, no Canadian football. For the first time in over a century, there will be no handing out of the Grey Cup and no championship celebrations. Back then it was World War I cancelling out the CFL. In 2020, it's the pandemic. I'm just talking to some of the guys and hearing the emotions in the locker room. It's uh, very disappointing for players, you know. This is what we do. We want to play football and it's, it's very disappointing when we can't play football and we have to wait until June 2021. The CFL had no choice but to cancel its planned abbreviated six-game season when the federal government chose not to hand out a $30 million interest-free loan. The league says come 2021, it'll come back bigger and stronger with all nine teams fully intact, but with the revised survival plan to strengthen the CFL and its franchises for years to come. We need a reset of the, of the CFL, and we know one of the challenges is in the three major centres of Montreal, Toronto, and, and Vancouver. Um, we have to work together as uh, nine teams. And if you were running a business as, as just with nine branch offices, uh, you'd be putting resources into uh, areas where they needed the resources. And, and clearly the three major cities are uh, areas that we need to pay particular attention to. Players are definitely gonna have to find other jobs. And I know a lot of my teammates right now are working and, and have other jobs because if you think about our last time we got a paycheck, it was at the end of the season last year, so November 3rd or whatever, uh, 2019. So players have definitely found jobs and they're going to have to find jobs to, to make money this next year. I agree with you. I feel bad. Yeah. CFL players. And they hung around and hung around and hung around hoping something would happen and not getting mm -hmm. paid. And now it's like, sorry, not till next year. Yeah, because they're not the multi-millionaires no. of the other leagues. That's it's not sure. big money in the CFL. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, teenage siblings from Toronto win a NASA competition with their ode to COVID-19. Well, they've been working hard, gathering, measuring, and converting their analysis of COVID-19 into a musical that caught the attention of NASA. A brother and sister duo from Ontario have been busy measuring the changes in our environment and daily lives since the pandemic began, and their efforts have paid off in a very big way. I think these readings are quite accurate, actually. Meet 14-year-old Artash and 11-year-old Arushi. Aside from being siblings, they have a lot in common when it comes to robotics, space and music. 
In May of this year, the pair decided to participate in the NASA International Space Apps Challenge. It's a collaboration between NASA and the Canadian Space Agency focused on solving global challenges. We found out that this year the topic was all about COVID-19. And this is an active event that's going on right now, so we really wanted to get involved and solve a challenge related to it. This year, more than 15,000 participants from around the world joined together to form over 2,000 teams to work on the Space Apps COVID-19 Challenge. What was your specific goal? Our challenge was to convert something that we had learned during the COVID-19 lockdown into arts and we decided to pick music. Using sensors and cameras, they set out to measure changes in the environment, in street noise, traffic, emissions, even light intensity during the pandemic in Toronto. We gathered the data for three weeks and I used a programming language called Arduino to get the data from each of the sensors because I had lots of data, I needed to analyze it. So I decided to use a second programming language called Python because it was very good at getting data. Using homemade instruments and NASA satellite, they converted their analysis into a musical and called it the mass scales. The marimba was for the, the light, the vibraphone was for the vehicle emissions, piano was for the street sounds, the flute was for the number of COVID-19 cases in Toronto every day. Together, they've been taking part in the Space Apps Challenge since 2014, but this time it was different. Congratulations, guys. You are the global winners. It must be awesome to know that your hard work paid off and your project was selected out of more than 1,400. How does it make you feel? We expected to be in the top 40 because we had worked very hard. But when we saw that we were in the top six, we were very surprised. Now we have the time to decide to learn what we want to learn. <laughs> very bright futures ahead. Do you ever feel like an underachiever? Yeah. What were we doing right when we were that age? <laughs> Not that. All right. Uh, final word on the weather. Any more lightning storms to watch? It looks like we're in the clear for tonight, but it's still another hot day in store for tomorrow, especially for the interior with many spots getting back into the 30s. It'll feel like that across the south coast. And a change on the way. Those who are looking for a break from the heat, Wednesday a bit of a transition, but we could see some showers and cooler temperatures for Thursday, Friday. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good evening, everyone.